he's an alien. I think is that the point of this movie? I don't actually know. Who is, is he an alien? It depends who. That like he the, refers I re- to. Right. Although, hey, don't get it twisted. There are no female characters in this film. Period. But <laughs> what what bedicked person do you refer to? Jonesy. Uh, Duddits. 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 I am Duddits. <laughs> I I Duddits. Um, oh yeah, Duddits I fucked it up already. I Duddits. An alien in the movie, yeah. but not in the book, is what I'm understanding. Oh, I didn't know that about the book. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of that old research, and that's a change they that's made for the movie. The, the one thing I learned. Now I'm sure more will come out. Mm. Um, all right. I guess since you did the random improv bullshit opening, I'll be the one who wrangles us back on track. Oh, I'm bad at that. And that's how we fabricate the idea that we're endearingly sloppy and transparently casual when in fact everything is rigidly planned. show the kids. Don't tell them that. We're talking... Oh, wait. No, I did fuck it up. This is Kings of King. I'm one of your kings, Michael Swaim. I'm the other king, Abe Epperson. (laughs) Two kings now stand before you. That's what I said now. And today we're talking about Dreamcatcher, 2003's Dreamcatcher, not to be confused with the 2019 movie Dreamcatcher with a K, which I didn't investigate further. But Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting turn for this podcast, because if you followed us in our last podcast, uh, the Coen Brothers Brothers... Or even all the way back to uh, the book club I did with Schmitty, you know that our or Abe's current series, Small Beautiful Things, our penchant is to cover singular art pieces or the entire canons of things that we think are really good. Mm-hmm. And when we came up with the idea for this show, one thing that appealed to us is we're like, you know, some Stephen King movies suck really hard. That'll be weird because uh, Gamefully Unemployed, our sister network, I would say they have found a way to appreciate and tackle, uh, especially Dave Bell can appreciate the shit out of a movie for being bad. I'm not good at that. Are you good at that, Abe? Do you like Uh, bad things and find them amusing? Not really. Um, Bingo, bingo. Sugar in the gas tank. I I mean, there's uh, there's a certain something about really bad movies that, like, direct my cardinal north, you know, Mm -hmm. and say, see, this is why good films matter. (laughs) Uh, That's as helpful as they get. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to ask before we even get into format. That was my question is like watching this, doing this, a movie that is widely considered bad uh, because it falls within the purview of Stephen King, who we're covering, who we think is good as an average like of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, do did you find it fruitful or is this a bad episode? Is this going to be a waste of everyone's bad? time? Uh I think it's a waste of everyone's time, to be honest with you. I do think that there's some interesting things that happened in this yeah. movie in terms of like, I can't wait to talk about Skeleton Crew. So we should sure. probably mosey We can on get into over, format, but I love... under the dome. <laughs> we can mosey to the dome. So yeah. I'll just say I love your honesty and your candor, sir. I love mm-hmm. that we are honest with our fans as much as we can possibly bring ourselves to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I kind of think it might be a skippable episode. We'll see. So if you're a hardcore bean, listen and tell us 
is this a waste of time? Because the the King canon is so vast, we could easily stick to good movies. Yeah. Uh, the question is whether we shall or whether we this show will become all inclusive. I don't know. Maybe it'll be fun dunking on this movie. We'll see. I mean, I feel like everyone's dunked on this movie, so it's not like it's like yeah. a it's easy. <laughs> it's easy. Uh, Let's do the easy thing and get trapped <clears throat> under a fifty meter, five hundred meter dome by aliens. I think also in that. I'm not I sure. Maybe recall. the government. We'll have to cover that one. <laughs> well, when we watch the Under the Dome series, but we're not mm-hmm. doing that yet. We're talking Dreamcatcher, Under the Dome. Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? Is the uh, segment where we give basically a quick rundown of the film if you haven't seen it, which is most of you, or... If you saw it and it was bad, so you didn't revisit it like us, mm. this will let you know what happened so you remember. So um, I think you took the last one, right? Yeah, I did write a log line because I oh. felt it interesting because one of my biggest critiques of this movie is how convoluted everything is. The premise is. itself. So yeah. I took it upon myself to go, what's a sentence that actually says the thing? If I were to be like, hey, do coverage on this Yeah. Screenplay. All right, hit us with that, and I will flesh out the details after. Four lifelong friends use their psychic talents to destroy an alien race determined to infect the human population. Yeah. And yeah. that's like the minimum number of words I think you could do it in. And it makes it seem less convoluted than it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little mm-hmm. more than that. Um, so the elevator pitch version of that. So one, one scoped level more complex would just be yeah. there's four friends. Uh, they have real names, but they go by Petey, Henry, Beaver, and Jonesy. Oh, mm-hmm. Jonesy, who is Jonesy. Uh, Jonesy's going to get us through this episode. Oh, Jonesy's yeah. a wonder um, and a great actor, honestly, but in a weird role. So, yeah, they're four friends. They are just good guys, you guys. Like, that's the main thing about these four friends is as a unit, they are heroes. They're the version of yourself you wish you were in a crisis. So they're constantly just helping anyone that they see because they gain courage from their friendship, you guys. So mm-hmm. they, uh, when they were kids, another Stephen King, v- very common Stephen King trope, we flash back to when they were kids in Derry, Maine, and we also flash to the present. Well, in the past, when they were kids, they had a formative experience involving the supernatural it sounds a lot like it and it kind of is um they saved a kid a differently abled kid mentally abled kid uh who i guess we would say appears to have down syndrome or potentially autism i don't know he's very he's not as shy as you anyway i'm not here to diagnose things beyond my pay grade but uh, uh he's getting picked on by classic high school jock bullies they stop him at even though I think someone says like the bully says, but you'll lose the fight. Why would you do this? And they go like, cause we're good. Cause it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to you're do, like, we yeah. get it. They're good guys. So it's wrong that what you're doing and you need to right. be stopped. This yeah. kid Douglas who goes by Duddits cause that's how he says his own name, uh, turns out to be quietly wise and su- almost supernaturally knows everything as they grow up they have experiences where it becomes clear that he's psychic he gifts them with psychic powers he gifts just one of them with the ability to find any item they wish to find i don't yeah, know why said by timothy oliphant who plays pete uh yeah. he calls him perfect he says yeah the Dennis most perfect per- the person most- he's ever known here i am 
why am I talking shit on the most perfect person I ever met? Question in what galaxy he's even, I gotta pee, is the line. But anyway, um, Mm -hmm. they go to a cabin every year. This is the 20th year. Recently, Jonesy, who is a professor, saw had a vision of Duddits beckoning him into traffic and walked into traffic and was nearly killed. He had a near-death experience where Duddits told him, it is convoluted, dude. It's hard to condense the elevator version. Um, told him, watch out for Ishter Gay. And uh, later that turns out to be him telling them, watch out for Mr. Gray. Mr. Gray is his name for what I interpreted as a hive mind alien invasion, but I could be wrong about that. It could be that one particular one that invades Jonesy is especially dangerous. That just seems so dumb to me. I assume Mr. Gray refers to the entire collective. But anyway... Aliens, okay, all right, so there's all that, right? But also, Mm -hmm, separately, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. aliens routinely try to invade the Earth, and like Men in Black, there's secret government agents who fight that, and they're led, they're called the Blue Boys for some reason, and they're led by Morgan Mm -hmm. Freeman, and unlike, uh, they're more like X-Files than Men in Black, because they're not charming, and they aren't flashing and memories away they just shoot aliens with guns and kill people who get infected by the aliens because the aliens who are dicks they're just evil but apparently not so powerful that they can just wipe us out instantly it's a struggle they continuously stage invasions where they try to spread this red shit called ripley in honor of aliens. They are the ripley the organism they are the is ripley. the ripley yes uh, but the also organism Byram. Oh, okay. And this, you did more research. So it's mm-hmm. not, f- the movie doesn't necessarily make this all crystal clear. Or but uh, the group of four, the four call them shit weasels. <laughs> right. So the aliens appear to exist in multiple forms. There's these uh, walking, which is why I think the alien connection is there because Alien was the first film that famously did like the four stage life cycle and you see it all. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. did, rips that off. There's the Ripley, which is the red stuff. You get infected with it. It grows inside you. You end up shitting out, fatally, shitting out a thing that becomes colloquially known as a shit weasel, which is like a lamprey-like evil snake. It, uh, you know, will fuck you up in its own right, but its mission in life is to lay a clutch of eggs, which it does incredibly quickly. The eggs hatch incredibly quickly and have little shit weasels inside them, and they spawn in that way. And also, if the snake lives long enough, it appears to grow legs and grow to man size and become a bipedal ugly snake alien. And... They have psychic powers. It's so complicated. So we view them as alien greys who are friendly looking, like the classic X-Files alien grey. But inside, they're evil looking lamprey aliens. Go ahead. And (laughs) that's not all. And if they are threatened to, like, death they can explode into a back red into mist, their red mist state uh, yeah which is uh we're unsure of really like one thing i bring up is that we're unsure of really what it looks like because like you said they're telepathic so they are affecting people's thoughts and visuals uh they can present themselves as anything but mm. uh they're big worms and they can explode uh, and if you, they, if they explode, they can destroy like a bomb, destroy a whole, like, I don't know if it's like acidic or something, but we saw that they can explode in red mist an entire yeah. series of helicopters. Right. But if you sir, if you have telepathic powers, from what I understand, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. can explode into mist and just possess you. Well, they can 
So I have a different interpretation, which is that they can explode into mist and possess you, which is usually fatal. Like mm-hmm. it, it blots out your consciousness and you become a zombie. You are them forever. Mm-hmm. It's irreversible. Mm-hmm. The reason Jonesy is able to cohabitate in his mind with the alien and eventually drive pals. it out is because he had a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And that retcons why Duddits, who loves them and tries to protect them, would have summoned him into traffic. Because Tim Oliphant says, he saw it all coming. Maybe that's why. Last week, my friend walked into traffic, but... And so that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay. So the near-death experience, which again is an arbitrary, complicated rule. If mm. you've had a near-death experience in your life, it inures you against being fatally possessed. You can still be possessed, but you get to fight in your brain like Gollum and Smeagol with the mm. thing. So yeah, Jesus, it also God. inhabits you. Yeah. It inhabits you in a way that it can transform either... It's putting on the image of you. Like, I mm. want to know where Jonesy goes because like at one point he actually kills Pete by eating him. He turns yeah. around and then oh, Mr. Oh, Gray. You're saying, well, he's, that's right. Well, he's, well, the alien is possessing him. The alien in Jonesy's body morphs into the worm alien and opens his torso, which is fangs, and eats a human. What Mm. is Jonesy's perceptual experience of that happening? It also happens (laughs) at the end. The mist comes out. I think it's like the mist is like a sentient cloud kind of thing. I think it's like the little itchies in the Itchy and Scratchy where he goes in his bloodstream and chops it. It goes into your blood, but it also can like exit from your blood, maybe through your If it gets weakened or or chooses, yeah. Your mouth or whatever. Yeah, so apparently that's a thing. All right, so to wrap it all up, um, they're in this snowy cabin they always go to, and it turns out Duddits ha- is an alien, another alien species that apparently tries to vanguard, like Fifth Element style. They have some kind of, it's not ex- extrapolated yeah. on at all, but I must assume. No, they, that's a good... They yeah. have like a duty or they feel some uh, obligation to defend planets that these assholes are taking out. Like they are the good guys of the universe, right? They're like our heroes, but of the universe, which I did think was cool. I made that connection where it's like, oh, when you ask the question that's obvious, why would Duddits give a shit? Why would Duddits protect them? Why did they protect him? It's that they're good guys. Like there's such a thing as a good entity, you know, that's altruistic. Anyway, Duddits knew this was going to happen and knew that this would be a key moment where Mr. Gray, one of the aliens, would have a rare opportunity, which this is my big plot hole problem with the movie. How is How have they not already achieved this? This is easy to do. How could they not have already done this? Anyway, all the aliens have to do is get one tiny sperm worm into a water supply of any city on Earth, and it will infest the whole planet and they'll own Earth. But somehow they've never achieved that, even though they've tried for years. But this time they were going to achieve it. And Duddits foresaw that. And Duddits enlisted these four guys and gave them psychic powers and knew that the situation would be such that they'd be able to stop it. The situation is such that they're able to stop it. And basically, I can get there quickly now that you know the rules of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um They go hunting. They stumble upon someone who's infected. The military sweeps in and quarantines the town. The alien infests Jonesy. Two of the friends get killed by aliens. Two of the other friends get locked in a duel with the alien that's acting as Jonesy. Um, 
the one guy, uh, the guy who's not possessed convinces the military underling to rebel against Morgan Freeman, who's like an Ahab character. Who's Henry convinces Tom Sizemore. He convinces Tom Sizemore. Hey, Morgan Freeman is being too bloodthirsty because he's just going to wipe the quarantine area off the map. We can actually stop this and save the innocent infected people. If we do X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z is going to fight the alien and getting duddits and going there. So they get duddits, they go there. Duddits changes shape into another beefy alien with a scorpion tail, fights the worm that has a scorpion tail, and like everything works out all right. And literally the end of the movie is just Jonesy becomes not possessed and his friend Tom Jane, nay Henry, says, Jonesy? Meaning, oh, it is him. He's not possessed anymore. Credits. Like the end of the arc is the alien is dead. We're done here. Let's. He go steps home. on the little bugs, <laughs> yeah. which proves that he's not. He's no longer Jonesy. infected. And at the same time, Mr. foils Grant. the alien invasion. Yeah. Uh, well done. Uh, I have nothing to add. That is under Great. the dome. Uh, let's move on to Skeleton Crew because I do want to talk about this. Skeleton Crew. Shut the doors! Shut the door! Is about the creative team assembled behind the production. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is usually where we throw out behind the scenes trivia if we know any and just talk about the team. Uh, would it surprise you if I named a f- bunch of films that uh, w- the people who worked on this film either wrote or shot? Well, the following it wouldn't films? surprise me, but it will surprise the listener, I hope. So please I'll just go throw ahead. out a few uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, Princess Bride, Mad Max Fury Road, The English Patient. <laughs> Yep. So this was written by William Goldman and Lawrence Kasdan and directed by Lawrence Kasdan. And that's what's that's why we picked it as our first bad movie, because it's inherently interesting that this crew mm-hmm. made such a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go ahead. But yes, it's yeah. too. It's like if you teamed up, you know. Wayne Gretzky it's like and Michael it's like Jordan, an and they like, sucked though. Like they fucked up. Yeah, they like, like uh, Goldman had adapted two other Stephen King novels before this. He did Misery, which was our last episode. Our last episode, which, yeah. Critically acclaimed, uh, Hearts in Atlantis, less so in 2001 with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, so there's just like a lot of cachet going on, uh, you know, with William Goldman in general. But mm. like in terms of Stephen King novel, they were excited about another one that he's doing, especially if we have at the reins one of like the franchise creators, one of the pre- right. one of the people that we usually when we talk about Star Wars, talk about the person who like saved it from being like a catastrophe because he basically took the reins of power away from um from george lucas's writing now and this tom is jane a big, from the mist yeah uh now and it's also sh- shot by john seal who uh shot mad max fury road and the english patient amongst others very well-known dp i think he did a good job as well all these people killing what they're doing. I wouldn't oh, say the script is bad. The, the script creature, is not bad. The creature designer is notable for having the best name of mm-hmm. anyone in the cast. Right. Crash McCreary. Uh-huh. Good name. Uh-huh. Good name. Good name. And I would actually argue the creatures are fairly well designed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what's it's interesting got like a about That's what's interesting about the skeleton crew component of this. No one is doing an obviously bad job, but the movie mm-hmm. is bad. I, re- yeah. I 
I still feel it's, that the movie is bad. It is bad. And I feel like I've cracked it, but... Um, I have a theory, but this isn't the section for it. We yeah. probably... It isn't the section for it. I do want to say that Lawrence Kasdan uh, is a big name. Everyone knows. In terms of his direction, I wouldn't say that he's top-tier director, but he isn't bad. He did uh, Body Heat, Silverado... Uh, Wyatt Earp, but Mumford. he's a legendary screenwriter. But he's a legendary screenwriter. Yeah. He's he blasted on scene uh, with the bodyguard, and, you know, and then Raiders I love, of the Lost Ark. Sorry. Like just no, just it, like he knows what makes a story work. Definitely, William Goldman knows what makes a story work. He knows they these guys know how to engage an audience. He just did, not just did, because this was two thousand three, but. He did Misery not that long ago. And as we talked about, it's a masterclass in the basics of storytelling and not fucking mm. them up. Mm-hmm. And this movie indeed doesn't really fuck up structurally. It's interesting. Okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. I, I am. Ex- that's the one. See, because what I find is with a good movie, it, so many points resonate with real life and you actually feel that there's vital truth there mm-hmm. to be shared with other humans and they could benefit. So the episode goes long. I just have one thing about this, which is my theory of why it failed. And I suspect every time we cover a bad movie, the only interesting part will be, well, why did it fail? Why is it a failure? Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about uh, how it failed. Uh, It's box office gross of 33 million in Mm. just the North American domestic market. Uh, it only earned half of its estimated 70 million production budget. Therefore, uh, it did surpass it eventually worldwide, but it's considered basically a flop, um, because it basically made its money back worldwide. Um, yeah. Uh, Kasdan has since argued that this particular movie affected his career in a pretty devastating way. Uh, he is now passed on multiple he's been passed on uh multiple considerations for directorial jobs since and he says like i was in a place where that was never happening even if i like didn't have great career success like or i didn't have a great success like it wasn't a huge hit my movies always were like yeah like you get this much money they producers were very weary on uh, giving him more directorial jobs after this because they just put it at his feet uh which is the you know that's the job of the director so whose feet are you going to put it upon i have a slightly different theory i don't know when we'll talk about that but uh what's also interesting is morgan freeman uh got top billing for this Uh, obviously he's a huge name uh, he does not appear until 40 minutes into the movie. <laughs> nor would, <clears throat> sorry, nor would anyone call him the main character in any stretch. So, no, no. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Uh, Damien, Le- let's talk about the cast a little bit. What a cast, I, That's right? what I was going to say is because it's weird. I understand Morgan Freeman is the most famous name, but it's not like the cast is not stacked otherwise. At mm-hmm. the time, Tom Sizemore mattered. Um, and Tom Jane, I think still is like B level star. Uh, and then, uh, sorry. What? what, Yeah. Who's Jonesy? Jonesy is Damian Lewis who like kind of took us all by surprise with band of brothers and has since been in things like Homeland Homeland, and a bunch of uh, supporting roles and features. He's just become a guy who's kind of like, we all recognize him. He's not a list either, but he's almost as big these days as Tom Jane was probably at the time of making this And Jason Lee rounds out our four 
Uh, yeah, Timothy Oliphant actually also. Oh, did I not mention Timothy? Sorry. No, yeah, our, our you know Seth Bullock, so our yeah, favorite. And obviously. here's one of the things that I noticed about this is because I had a like a a crisis of faith a little bit <laughs> recently about my like what am I just not good at determining if like people like if actors are good or not because I thought for the longest time that there's something wooden in Timothy Oliphant's like performances and then I thought that in Deadwood he was so good because basically Milch used him to such a great effect right they used his woodenness in a perfect role so I was like that's you know so that's just great casting it doesn't necessarily mean he's a good actor then since I've seen a lot of roles that he's played that I'm like, you know what? I'm wrong about this. Timothy Oliphant is really good. Oh, are you, I have I to say that in this say. movie, him acting drunk is, it's really bad in my opinion. Okay. Like he's oh, doing, I thought I was, thought I was going to be crazy. I thought you were about to say, I have to say it's good. No, that's, I had the same thing. It's it was like, so bad. he sucks in this movie. Yeah. It's weirdly bad. It's like someone told him to act drunk and he doesn't know how to act drunk and he overacts drunk and it sucks. It's bad. Yeah. yeah so I don't know what to do. I'm He's like Steven Summers to me. I don't know what to, to do. I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, like you're, you fucking kill it one instance and then another instance, I don't know what the hell you're doing. I'm just not seeing something. So, cause he's obviously good. He obviously can emote and do there's such a thing a, as someone who's hit and miss or you just you know, hit and people miss, who have man. good days uh, and bad days yeah not not great for uh old timothy this i one, think he's really opinion, good in which uh, means very little the office i think he's quite good actually oh yeah he's had many roles that he's yeah. been awesome in. he's almost saved a diehard which is like impossible <laughs> that's true uh is that it for skeleton crew um yeah there's just um well, and there, there's maybe. the DVD contains the original ending. Uh, that's something I wanted to point out to people if they're confused and they've seen a oh, version. Oh, sure. What is the original ending? Uh, Duddits defeats the alien using his special power, but is not revealed to be an alien. He then dies uh, because he's like exhausted and obviously the leukemia. And so the last shot, God. rather than stepping on the worm, is Jonesy and Henry visit his grave and sing Blue Bayou. Uh, gotcha. Which is the song so it would that they literally just calm him down earlier. Yeah. Same tone, but uh, leaving him mysterious whether he truly is an alien or you could interpret it some other More way. More true to yeah. the novel. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, That's this was me. like, no, his head morphs into an Egyptian like spider head and. He has a scorpion. Yeah, tail. he looks like he's a an alien, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very bizarre, but you know, hey, hey, like it's a Stephen King thing. Pennywise, you know, all that. Speaking of, we should segue I to think the next you just section, did, my friend. It's called it. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. Now this is where we get to finally say all the things we keep saying. That's not for this segment, though. Let's withhold that arbitrarily from the audience, though. This yeah. is when you get your your big is, meaty brain payoffs. Yeah, this we're is, small yeah. beans. <laughs> this is the money segment. Yeah, I love. Um, so why I did, love a few yeah. things that. So here's 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 my big. Here, I have two big things. One is. I want to talk to you, whatever you want to talk about first, but I want to talk about why I think this movie fails. That's what I was going to ask. 
And then there's another thing I want to talk about, which is uh, how does one determine like when the writer is writing all the stuff like the symbology aspects and all of like, like I'm including all of these things like SSDD or the number 19 or the idea of Dreamcatcher. I have all the symbology. Why that, why does that not affect someone? Like why, well, like formalists like us get real hard on it. And I like, as in like, we really love that shit, but, uh, we also, I, we're also not crazy. We understand that like not everyone enjoys that kind of stuff, but this movie I feel has a plenty of symbology. It just doesn't work on it. Took and me, I want to investigate. That. Yeah. It took me watching it a second time to realize they did try. Mm-hmm. Like I, so for example, there are a few moments, look, you can't be this team and not win some. And I think there are, I was harsh on it. You know, the first time you watch a movie, it's your overall gut reaction gets applied to the whole movie. So I remember it being mediocre every moment. And that's not Mm -hmm. true. There are standout moments that are good. Uh, One for me is the shot of the titular dream catcher burning Mm -hmm. from one side and spreading with infection from the other side as a guy uses fire to fight the infection, but at the risk of his protection from the nightmares. Mm -hmm. So you're like, Oh, the shots literalizing. We're like almost getting a a recap of what's going on. A postcard for almost a check-in on the status of the story. That's really neat. And Mm -hmm. then a human directorial moment that I think I've never seen in a movie and it's great directing is they have a violent car crash and he goes, I think my leg's broken. I think my leg's broken. Oh fuck. And he drags him out. And then they laugh for a while with the, there's no reason to laugh, but you have to imagine it's the endorphin rush of realizing you're both alive though. Like, yeah. oh, we're going to walk away from this? Ha, 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 ha. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, fuck, God. man. Fuck. I'm thinking about wow. so many things. And I'm like, and that was so realistic yeah. and shows never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Directing exists in the film and there's good moments. Uh, so, yeah. So the question is, why didn't I? I think it's a matter of there's an effect I learned about co- called the in good hands theory. Which is, and it comes to similar storytelling questions like, how can a reader or whoever, whatever, a viewer or whatever, how do we program their brain in such a way that they can tell that an unreliable narrator uh-huh. who says things that aren't true is not the effect of the writer not keeping track of things, the difference between a plot hole and an unreliable narrator, right? And we have this problem, especially nowadays in the internet age, and this one, there's no real way around. It's tough. Satire, if there's not a lampshade on it, Mm -hmm. uh, is indistinguishable from someone who just really thinks that dumb, crazy thing. Right. Uh, So... In a, that functions at every level of storytelling, not just satire. So my theory is that because the execution is weak, you don't feel you're in good hands and you project, you have an image of the force that's telling you the story in your mind whenever you experience a story. And it's not necessarily the author. It's like the God of that universe. And in my mind, when I'm watching Dreamcatcher, the God of this universe is not smart enough to have included symbology. So I don't even bother to look for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What that's... is your theory, sir? <laughs> <clears throat> I align with a lot of what you say, and I do want to add, I think 
it comes down to who to blame and what like why it fails. Yeah. It's not just directorial. It's not it's not in good hands in that regard cuz I do think Hasden does a, he doesn't do missteps. He doesn't like I there's not in terms of directorial work, he doesn't choose bad shots. He doesn't have mm-hmm. he didn't cast poorly. He doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to fail a, a sequence. He keeps screen direction and geography clear. clear. Yeah. Everything, all of the director's craft is intact. If you stopped and freeze-framed, I don't think there's any shots that you'd go, that's one for the ages, but that you'd all go like, that's a good shot. True. Yeah, that's That's a good shot. Yeah, sure. And sometimes we need to, sometimes as a culture, uh, what's great is often considered, is distilled through one or two moments in a movie. Yeah. That were objectionable, like, without objection, great. Um, but then we distill the entire movie to the greatness of those moments. Oh yeah. The psycho shower scene, Shelly Duvall screaming. You're like, that's that movie. That's that movie. And then likewise, if you never truly are, do something that really resonates and makes memorable, uh, in the hearts and minds of people, you're seen as mediocre. uh, It's funny. Yeah. This movie is sequence after sequence of competent, fine sequences, but no one sequence is brilliant. And I left thinking the movie was terrible. Now, do you like you track that? I saw sequence after sequence of things that are fine. And I left thinking it was terrible because you do want, you want it. You need one. There has to be some crystallizing transcendental or what is sticking in my mind about this story. It, it seems you've lost the urgency of why tell this story. It reminds me of another one we could cover because I think it's based on a Stephen King. Uh, The one about the window with Johnny Depp and he keeps writing shoot her on his wall. Oh, is that, um, Secret some Secret window. Bullshit. Secret window. Same Secret thing. Window, yeah. I'm like, everything is fine, but why put money together and get assemble people and make why this? Did, why did it happen? Why did <laughs> to make more money? Um, you know, there's something in addition to that, I think, because there's like that. I'm not saying what you're saying is specious. I actually think you're nailing it. But I think if you ask everybody who's seen Dreamcatcher, I think you get pretty almost you get very few defenders of this movie for this movie. But I would say that in our collective mind sight, uh, mind like head space, we all remember things from this movie. It is a memorable movie. Well, the yeah. sequence with Beaver in the bathroom sitting on the toilet. But what you remember waving aliens mm. as like the, all these things are memorable. Yes. Yes. But the thing I remembered from Beaver sitting in the toilet and it bugged me just as much this time is that he needs to reach for a toothpick for no reason, for no reason to arbitrarily raise stakes. And the stakes are already. I thought it was because it calms him down. I understand that. But in real Mm. life, you know what I mean? I think throughout. Sure. So I disagree that they didn't fuck up. I think there are things that are dropping the ball to a degree that is humorous uh, about not understanding how humans work, mainly in that arena. Mm. One is this scene. It's the fact that I don't care how much your blankie calms you or your widget or your doodad, whatever you need. Yeah. You're not going to risk an alien <laughs> shooting up your butt 
because you yeah. need it right now when your friend is literally going to get something that will solve the situation. And that thing, by the way, is called duct tape, not friction tape. That is a writing mistake. Like that's weird. No yeah, one in weird. the world ever calls it friction tape. Um, I actually count that as a dropping the ball on like addiction level. But yeah. then furthermore in that scene, the stakes you've set up are you got to go quick, but Jonesy's leg is stiff but you got to go quick. That's the, that's the nut. Oh, that's why this is such a hard situation. And then he goes, well, maybe I should go. No, you should go. No, maybe I should go. You should go. Okay. I'm going. And then, and this is a directorial fumble. He exits the slowest I've ever seen anyone exit a scene. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then (laughs) he returns to say, oh, and Hey, Beaver, Sit tight, buddy, which undermines the fact that a second ago he thought this was very urgent. It's like I've never seen comedy and horror not meld so much. It's because comedy and horror usually work. But this was the horror moment where you were supposed to keep the stakes real. And he goes, hey, sit tight, buddy. And you're like, I thought you were in a hurry. And then it immediately goes, oh, he was in a hurry because if he grabs this toothpick, he's getting an alien up the butt. And you're like, so the stakes are real. Now they're fake. Now they're real. And I think it's fumbles like that, that actually disintegrate your feeling of that. The movie is on track. You're right about this. You're right about this. An analogy I think of, or something that I think it would please my high school, my uh, college, uh, film professor would be that like you got to look at how structurally sound this sequence that you're you're pointing Mm -hmm. to right now and how it fails and you nailed it because it's you got to think of like if you're building a house you gotta nail the nail into the right part of the beam so that the fucking wall stays up and when you start just hammering nails into whatever and say it's comedy it's horror it's like all these things so are we moving fast are we moving slow well let's build a little tension and then move fast and it's like so what master are in you in what cadence like, and in what pattern and that yeah. pattern creates what who's, rhythm who's driving yeah. <laughs> who's driving who's driving and that's well, the it's failure. like who is it jj abrams says i like that sequence it rhymes uh, I hate J.J. Abrams, <laughs> but that quote sure. is true and insightful about storytelling. Like your mm-hmm. the emotions you're feeding into my brain should occur in some sort of thought out cadence that has a rhythm to it. That's like sad, happy, happy, sad, sad, happy, happy, sad, big, sad, end of movie. There, there you're are, right. this, this is a thing. This is a force <clears throat> that lets you know the movie was thought through and it does feel so my big theory is that it's simply overwritten. It's like when you stack so many heavy hitters <laughs> on a team yeah. that they get that's in each it. other's way. Oh, is that your theory too? Yeah, that's it. And I put, frankly, I put that on the, I put that on the feet of Steven, dude. I do. How so? It's too much. I think that this needs to be a TV show. It can never be a movie in that way because it's not that you can't do it. It's not, I'm not disagreeing with Kubrick when he says, if you can think it, you can film mm-hmm. it. I'm saying it's disassociating you from the audience's need to watch movies and the need 
to watch a movie comes from the idea of relating to characters and understanding where they're coming from. It's taking big swings and doing, like you said, laughing at a car crash, doing a lot of cool little moments, but I never get to get into the head, even though they show me literally doing so, I never get to get in the head of any of these characters. And because there's so much exposition and nuance of that exposition that has to happen, we have to introduce too many things. And that means that in the time allotted and this movie is two hours long two, uh, 220 people, it's like 217 and if you go to imdb right now or rotten tomatoes and look at the users like all of the reviews by like just people almost all of them say the same thing which is why was this two hours long <laughs> i'd like it if it was 90 minutes yeah. long which is hilarious to me because that's actually just like that's band-aid on a bullet wound that's like saying I wish it were that, and that's the effect of what I have a problem with. But the the result is only only caused by the trend that preceded it. And the trend here is that it's all too much. It's too many things happening. We got flashbacks. We got fucking and different types of aliens. It is interesting on how many levels it's too much. Because on one level, it's too many king tropes in one king bottle. It's, it's, it's trying king. to be it and misery and the shining. It has so many and stand by things me. that are, yes, absolutely. It has, and under the, dome. it has so many things that are structurally similar to things he will do later or has done already that it's like, uh, now that's what I call Stephen King 18 compilation of yep. fucking, <laughs> yep. they even yep. have duddits say, here's Josie when they save that girl and you're like, Jesus Christ, are you just trying to shimmy in a shining reference right now? My God. It's like a greatest hits album as if we're supposed to think that that's how films work. And it's also (laughs) like like what you said about the uh, nailing random parts to your house and just hoping it comes out as like a really sick house because there's so many parts. I I felt... That way very much about, well, first of all, just the aliens and magic systems that, that were going to literalize the interior of his head. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I made this list I want to go through, if you don't mind. The tip off for mm-hmm. me was, look, every writer, and Stephen King loves this, and if you know anything about William Goldman's writing, William Goldman loves this, and the Coen brothers love this, and I love this. People have certain turns of phrase Look, a million movies have someone say the line, kill them, kill them all. But the one mm. movie where the exact same stakes are in play and the exact same scenario is playing out, but the guy says, uh, okay, to take Firefly, Serenity for an example, well, I don't kill children. I do. It's so much more impactful, mm-hmm. literally just because it's fresh. It's the same scene. It's just fresh. And so a good writer will try and be fresh. <laughs> it's subway, you baby. gotta, you gotta, you gotta, gotta be fresh. And, uh, <laughs> but I think they overdid it. So Stephen King loves quirky turns of phrase that kids use. And William Goldman loves unique language. And when you put that together, you have a movie that has all of these things in it and it becomes fucking obnoxious. Crime Annette's yeah. Jesus fuck bananas same shit different day fuck me freddy kiss my bender bite my bag it was a fuckery not a fuckero you're a real jabba naba bucko laddie blue boy capiche scooby dooby doo we've got some work to do now fast and hard clean and smiling 
pick a fucking catchphrase movie. Yeah, Jesus dude. Christ. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm loving this energy so much right now, dude. You're my you're my hero. Hell yeah. That's exactly it, man. It's exactly it. <laughs> it's just it's, too much. Uh, it, it's so it's so important that you brought up J.J. Abrams because I think what we've done is we've we're pointing at the problem in Hollywood right now is that and it's why this failed and it's why I think a lot of people on things that do succeed because we only have so much budget to go around. Thanks, Disney. Uh, so new ideas. We, we, we still need to go to the Marvels and all this stuff. So I need to take them all the task because they all do this shit. And J.J. Abrams is the guy who realized that this kind of shit does work. If you dress everything up that it looks like and it feels like something reminiscent of something oh, that wow. you're used to because you yourself are very educated in film That's true. you as a viewer ha- are in the middle of a journey i didn't realize how gonna happen this is very proto abrams in a way i didn't even realize it yeah. so is because it's it's all about identifying the result it's not about identifying the motivation and they they have they have like they basically when they take you to directing school they put you in a room and they say don't result based direct just don't do it it's an insult to everyone around you and it also just destroys it means you have nothing to say so what are you doing here it, yeah. so and so it's hilarious to me when I always see Abrams and they're like, like I'll tell you what I'm doing here, like making a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas, all these directors, we see what they're telling their actors and it's stuff like this faster, more intense. Mm-hmm. That's result. That's what you want yeah. to be. That's what you want it to be. It means do the thing in my head. It doesn't mean let's talk about what is happening. And that is the failure of most of these people who are given just so much money. Right. And I, and I think that uh, with this story, it's a little bit more unique because I don't think that Kasdan is going around yelling faster, more intense like a JJ. No, he probably did it right. Yeah. He probably did it right. It's just that, they wanted so badly for everyone to be on board with it that they mimicked the form of having succeeded without really having done the work. And that is at their feet. But that's really, it's because the story they tried to tackle has so much going on that it's like, where do you have the time to do that stuff? So I don't blame him too much for it. I don't blame even King, even though I said it's kind of his, him to blame. I don't really blame him because it's just like, it's a story that just really shouldn't be covered in a two hour movie. That's true. Yeah. Another thing I noticed though, as someone who writes a lot of sci-fi horror short stories, when I look back at them 10 years later, I do realize that I reuse my own ideas in different combinations. So I don't even Mm. necessarily lay it on. I don't even theorize that King is like, I will now callously cash in on a greatest hits of my tropes I've used before. He doesn't need to do that. Mm. He has a very fertile imagination and money. He's done like... I imagine it felt fresh when he thought of the idea, and in retrospect, he'd probably agree, oh, that was kind of similar to it. Well, you know, I was exploring a similar direction, but with different details. And that's allowed, um, but this one just, I just don't see it having a lot of freshness or a lot to say. Uh, And I think like a a great concrete example is I kept forever trying to figure out, because they call it Ripley, and they shout out Alien, and Tom Sizemore's in it. And Alien famously, if you do any close reading or film studies, 
the big thing about Alien that is like the did you know is like, well, did you know that it's really a rape story? It's the idea of right. they were thinking what's scary. And one thing that's scary is the sheer violation of being raped. And that's true. But you're not, they didn't want to make irreversible. They didn't want to just shoot a rape. So they were like, it would, it, what's an our, analogy? It's an for analogy. Rape? Our alien will shoot a dick into you so forcefully that it plants a seed in you. And, or if the face hugger gets you, it makes you gag and shove something down you. And later, a baby that you didn't want bursts out of you and kills you in childbirth. It's a nightmare, and, yeah. it's a nightmare twisted version of a rape <clears throat> cycle. And it's, it's litter. And then to put it in the framework of a horror film, which obviously makes yeah. sense because rape's about power and there's nothing more powerful than a little unknown monster, monster that's seven can feet be tall. anywhere in the ship yeah. at any time pop out of anywhere and has complete control over your physical well-being right so, so like it's absolutely by thorough. contrast they created the alien life cycle right so they're mirroring a similar execution that they find good they see that alien is good and i would argue the whoever composed the score was like x files is good because this whole score is just mm. x files music but um mm. then they didn't think about what it means and i i tried to wrap my head around it and i'm pretty sure there's nothing there which is well th what's different this alien it is a cloud you inhale and then it shoots out your butt so forcefully that it rips all your organs out and you die that way. So mm -hmm. what is that analogous to? The horror of, you know how everyone's scared one day they'll shit themselves so hard they die? No, no one's scared of that. I don't understand <laughs> what you were trying to play upon, even from a psychology or like human behavior standpoint. You just flipped some details around so it didn't look like an alien ripoff. That's not enough. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this misappropriated art of um, symbology or reference, rather, is probably a better word. Uh, if people hadn't already catched it, I think it's pr pretty obvious, though. But just so it's the same kind of thing we're talking about, I think, here. Same shit, different day. You know, like doesn't Morgan Freeman says that in Shawshank Redemption. Any, oh, yeah. And I couldn't figure out. It doesn't mean anything. The number 19 is everywhere in this film. And I w was looking for why, because it's like the jersey is 19. Uh, he lives at like 19. Yeah. The, one of the houses address is right. 19. It's because 19 is a very, like a fundamentally important number in the Dark Tower series. I don't know why, because I haven't read them. But you can see how transparent, like the numerology there is so transparently like, okay. There's whatever. too much that you know, makes you shrug and go, okay. That's fine. And, yeah. <laughs> and so we have to look at what this film has on its own and what it's actually proposing is the themes and the theories. I see things like kindness and empathy as salvation. You know, I see things like dream catcher or like the idea of blocking dreams from children that would harm them and being a, essentially a guardian. I see that that's a continuation with Duddits or for, you know, even, even in a way, in a weird way, uh, Abe Curtis, who, by the way, they changed the name to Curtis uh, from Kurtz because okay. again reference his name was going to be Abe Kurtz like Captain Ahab yeah. mixed with Kurtz that's yep. so stupid yep it's so stupid You're that's like, get it? that's He's the name obsessed. I think in the book 
<laughs> it's and and we all know Kurtz from Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse right. Now as a this uh, a, a war general who's who's been in the shit so long that he's lost his mind. What does that reference earn you as a filmmaker? It's just shorthand for this guy's that type. Yeah, that's yeah, all you get. But it's like you guys can do better than this, and we know you can. We've seen you. And it's and the Princess fact Bride that they is one the of name, the finest screenplays ever written. Yeah, right. But the mere fact that they changed his name from Kurtz to Curtis reveals something to me. What it says is it means they're wor- they know they what knew that was too there. sweaty. They're like, let's not do all the yeah. references, guys. That's pushing the brakes on that impetus. Whereas I think J.J. Abrams would be like, more, more, more. You know, more it's like flares. poetry rhymes, George Lucas. Yeah. Here they're like, mm, maybe not. And that's what makes me kind of sad about this movie is that they clearly for whatever reason, probably production and reality, you know, the woes of production and such, they couldn't make the movie they wanted to or didn't have the budget or they didn't have the ability to do it for whatever reason. So they just kind of were happy with second best. And what that meant is that they had to cut corners and not do the work and just try to replace it with the feeling of them doing the work. And that's why it feels so disassociating and like people never got on board with it because it's like it's got everything and that's something that like that's one of the things we love about like the indiana jones it's got nazis in it it's got everything yeah. you know like it's got all this shit going on it's like this feels like we just want to pass more to on just, the adventure yeah it's trying to do it's trying to capture lightning in a bottle artificially yeah and i think we all see can I, it because there's an art of the general. can i read you my description of the scene where they met Duddits? That yeah. as I wrote notes organically watching the movie. Yes, I they, love that. They came to stare at the homecoming queen's pussy, but they found another better pussy to stare at. Friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I it's did just, it. every, all it. my notes are like, Abe slash Freeman tells Sizemore, wipe out quarantine. Once in a while, I'll write a full joke, and then it's got to make it into the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I made a note that when the alien bites Tim Oliphant's dick off, so he fucks the fire and tries to burn it, and it bites him in the face, it mm. bites him with the with the side that bit his dick off, so he's got dick breath on his face. That's <laughs> bad, too. Breath. Yeah. That's, <laughs> let's see, this you as if you can't tell i'm going through final notes before i'm like i don't have anything else real to say i did like the yeah. stepping on the worms because it reminded me of the, my favorite eraser head scene oh yeah i didn't make that i mean connection. i don't know if it's, it's an intentional really connection. connection no it's it it's it's a sound john wayne's kind of gun thing. having a tracking chip in it was one of the dumber things i've ever been asked to go jesus. along with jesus as a plot device yeah yeah, it's not. Oh, you want the premise to be. Viable. And then, of course, I'm sorry. Everyone should know the most important note of all. And this is important. This has been an important theme in Abe and my friendship since day one. At, at an hour and one minute and 20 seconds, triangle mouth. <laughs> the best face of all yeah. time. Damien Lawrence? Is that his name? Damien. Damien, Damien Lewis. Lewis, redheaded uh, guy from Homeland, makes. The funniest face that Abe and I agree that we have ever seen in a film. It's his triangle mouth. It's so good. It's so good. Check it out. (laughs) 
I'm gonna. Uh, I'm definitely going to make sure that that is the thumbnail for this Please. video on uh, on YouTube and on Patreon, okay, so okay. you guys know what we're talking about here. It's so great, and it's also Lewis's performance. There is like he's 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 off. Like he's not he's a person. To be crazy. And then he is suddenly inhabited by an alien deciding this is what humans are. And then it's an immediately switch on. And that's the face he came up with. Uh, surprising note uh, for the uh, for behind the scenes uh, when they determine when Damien Lewis uh, wanted to think of like, well, what does Mr. Gray sound like? And what is he like? Right. What spirit what is, the is inhabiting this him? movie? And what he did is he just did an impression, and I'd never noticed it until I read this fact. He's totally nailing it. He's doing an impression of Malcolm McDowell. Oh, <laughs> and it's such he's a just good Malcolm impression. McDowell. That's true. As himself, it's just Malcolm yeah, McDowell, yeah. like dude. in interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and it's also when he plays is a little bit more of a like characters that are larger than life kind right. of stuff like it's got a little bit of oh, uh, clockwork orange in it yeah exactly yeah. hello <laughs> jonesy well i <laughs> think just... i'll kill you all then <laughs> yeah exactly he does and he does uh, a good so job good. i really like that scene even yeah. though again most people as i watched it i was confused i didn't understand how i was supposed to keep taking the stakes seriously or if i was supposed to um, watching it, if I'm just like, look, the movie's bad. What parts did I like? He is doing a fun performance. It's fun. He's doing a fun performance, but uh, there's nothing. It doesn't serve a again, greater whole, but it's fun. I think it, I really, I think you nailed it. I think we're all in the, on the same page, which is that Stephen King's original novel is almost 700 pages long. That's Woof. a cue. Yeah. Because he's not going to, like, Stephen King isn't got one who minces words, you know? Like, he he has intention behind it. The scope of it is very tough. I want us to think about why Dreamcatcher failed and also make us realize that maybe it's the same reason why Dark Tower failed. Right. Maybe it isn't entirely at the I feet refuse of to the watch that movie because Dark yeah. Tower is one of my favorite book series of all time. And the idea that mm -hmm. it could be done. I'm not even willing to entertain the notion. I'm sorry. I'm not going to... I love yeah. Idris Elba, but I don't want to see it done that way. I'll wait for the real it's, version. Right. Exactly. And that's why, I, you know, we're probably going to talk about The Stand and the miniseries. Hell yeah. And, I and hope this so. will probably come up because uh, I think there's I've something to be said about... I've never seen The about, Stand. I really want to watch the show. Uh, there's something to be said about, like, when the writer has the golden word, you got to really assess what... Like, I really... I, in this podcast, we we've, we started off talking about what what Stephen King brings to the table, which is just unique thought and original compositions that are that are resonant with us. And then he can hand it off to filmmakers, and he's a great collaborator in that respect. That then take that work and turn it into something that, through the visual medium, is fantastic. And I'm glad we started off with like pre like three fairly solid films I, that I think exhibit that. This is an example, and we'll see many times in this podcast, I think, of when they don't. And I think fundamentally, what even if you're the biggest Stephen King fan in the world and you're listening to this podcast, remember that there's a difference between those production uh, scalings, between like writing a novel and just trying to, sp or just the medium of just speaking through a book versus speaking through a, a film. Um, 
there's so much that's harder to translate. There's so many types of stuff that Stephen King is very good at that I don't think we'll ever be satisfied with a visual version of some of it unless it's given the time to do so, unless it's given the budget. That's why like, I think like Lord of the Rings by Peter Jackson, it had such a beautiful scaffolding to stand uh, upon. Mm. You couldn't accomplish it. It was like the perfect storm. And some of these tale, these tales that Stephen King has, they need a perfect storm. And so let's not like say like, oh, you know, oh, fuck oh right. Like you're saying like, anything like it's that. It's no small thing to make a good visual version of the Dark Tower. That's of, a pretty ambitious the fucking yeah. ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. And a lot of these, a lot of the books that turn into the best movies are because they're, they're streamlined. They're simple they have a thing that yes, they want to say. You They're find, smaller and You humbler. find that his short stories, right. Like Shawshank actually has room to add stuff that wasn't in the story because yeah. the story's so short. And it ends up using those additions to make it more film suited. So it, you end up with one of the best movies that we'll cover, I'm that's, sure. That's my theory, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, some will disagree. Um, do you want to take a stand? Let's do it. The stand. This is where we do a short review of the execution, which we kind of already did. I just, but I consider it right hardcore now, ranking, honestly, which we rarely yeah, do. Yeah, this is what what we're going to do right now is where it exists in the King Pantheon, based on the four episodes mm. we've done, including this one. So, um, number four, yeah, number <laughs> so four. Our current running tally is. The Shining, Shining, Misery, Misery, The Mist, Mist, Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. Awesome. Kind of no-brainer. It's not going to get interesting until there's like at least 10 on this But then list, it will so. become interesting and this segment will get really long and we'll argue more. More robust yeah. because it will be each of us. I can't wait till we just, right. when we disagree, it's just going to keep coming I actually back. think it'll be really interesting to disagree about like, <laughs> look, I agree with you completely but your number seven and eight should be swapped. Like really detail level. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, we were at each other's throats when we did this for Cohen Brothers, man. We were like, you put that oh, at number I seven. Kinda, yeah. You get the that fuck out of here. That was mildly upsetting. Like almost really upsetting. <laughs> Some yeah. of those. So, so look you know, for that in the future. Feel free to suggest <laughs> uh, what you think we should cover next. We won't necessarily listen to you, but do feel free. We do read things on occasion there's tons to cover yeah and it's usually based off but the whim of when we can talk to each other it's like what do you true. want to watch and talk but about i'd it. especially love feedback for this show um on whether it's more interesting when we cover good movies or bad movies and this is only your first data point so we'll get we'll have a better yeah. idea once we've done more bad movies like it might be interesting this time but i have a feeling it might get wearisome to cover bad movies we'll see We'll see. Right. Yeah. I there are a few bad movies that like maximum overload. That's what I mean. Is there's a whole swath of people, and I get this because I've known a lot of people like this who are begging us. We get the messages who are like, cover maximum overdrive, cover like shit that's so bad yeah, that's that a... episode's gonna be hilarious. And as a professional comedian, I'm saying to you, I don't know that it will be hilarious. Bad <laughs> stuff is boring sometimes. I love. <laughs> I love the honesty and transparency we get from Michael Swain. Hey, we've come full uh, circle. Yeah. We've come full circle. And that's <laughs> All right. the king. That's it. Yeah. I think that's uh, a If you enjoy episode. our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash smallbeans. Or if you can't swing it, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Just search for Small Beans Audio.
It would really help us out. And all cops are bastards. Yeah. Hey, Cab. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.